Good morning, Crosspoint. Hey, everybody. Hope everybody's staying safe. Yeah, we miss you guys. Do we do? <laughs> um, so today's reading is going to be um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 6. All right, now begin. I, Paul, myself entreat you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who am humble, went face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. This is God's word. You may be seated. Don't get too unused to it. <laughs> hey, Crosspoint, so glad you're joining us for another online service. You know, every week we have changing circumstances, changing situations that we have to adjust, adjust to and adapt to. We've certainly done that this week, which is why I am recording this sermon to you in my home. But I also believe that God is going to do something powerful in our time together today. You know, one of the things we hold as valuable is the proclamation of the Word of God. I believe that God's Word must be proclaimed. And as we gather here, whether you're in front of your phone or in front of a computer or on your TV screen, that there's a dialogue that's going to happen where God's Word, which is being spoken to me, is a conversation that the Holy Spirit is having with you. And that God's proclamation from the pages of the Scriptures through my mouth impacts and changes your life. So would you join me and we pray as we pray for that transformation. God, change our lives today. May we not just be hearers of your word, but doers of it. Lord, help us be people that hold every thought captive to Christ. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're continuing our series in 2 Corinthians, Light of the Gospel. We know that God wants to bring the light of the gospel into our hearts and lives. We know that Paul wanted to see that as a reality in the church of Corinth. And there was a war that was raging and that was going on around them. I think it's important that we see that war that's raging in our world today. And that it's still a war that's going on. It was from aboard the aircraft carrier USS Abraham Lincoln on May 1st, 2003, standing directly under a mission accomplished banner that President George W. Bush declared, in the battle of Iraq, the United States and our allies have prevailed. This was followed by a famous shock and awe campaign that shock and awe campaign was meant to inspire the Iraqi leadership to give up because of this massive work that was meant to confuse, overwhelm, and paralyze. They wanted to see the Iraqi leader's situation as hopeless and helpless and that they would surrender. 
And so as George Bush on the USS Abraham Lincoln said, mission accomplished, we know on this side of history that the, the battle raged some years later. And now in our spiritual lives, we know that when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord, and when we trust Him as our Savior, that there's still a battle that we live in. That yes, while 2,000 years ago when Jesus says it is finished, He defeated sin, death, Satan, and hell. And that we already have some of the benefits of the kingdom of God, but we are not yet there. That we are not yet completely redeemed people. And that God has us living in this lost and broken world for a, pur a purpose. And that purpose is that we would be obedient to Him by every thought being held captive to Christ. The big idea for our time together today is that God has given you everything that you need in the midst of the battle. We've got to see that there's a battle that's raging around us and that in that battle, God has given us everything we need for victory. Not only victory in salvation, but victory at the final judgment when the world is renewed and God makes all the sad things come untrue. We know that's happening, but we're not there yet. And because we're here right now, we acknowledge that God has given us everything that we need in the midst of the battle. Now, Paul was addressing the church of Corinth, and we know that Paul was in the middle of battle. At one point, this church had lar largely rejected him on superficial grounds. The, the city of Corinth valued wealth, but Paul was poor. And he had to be bivocational and make tents for a living. We know that the city of Corinth valued eloquent speakers and those who were skilled in rhetoric. But Paul, he spoke with the timidity, with fear and trembling. Some even believed that he had a speech impediment. We know that the city of Corinth valued health. But yet Paul was weak, suffered. In fact, his face was so disfigured by the marks of suffering that people wondered if he was cursed. And so it was a message of weakness that found strength in God that penetrated the hearts of those in Corinth. But it wasn't just that message, but it was their messenger, Paul. Paul's life was a demonstration of that reality. And as Paul addressed these people who had largely rejected him, now largely were accepting him. Yes, Paul was their apostle appointed by Christ with a message of good news and salvation in Jesus. He was their pastor and their leader, but there was still a reluctant minority or an unrepentant minority. Those who were being influenced by false teachers who sought to discredit Paul at every turn. And as you read here in chapter 10, you see the heading of this chapter is Paul's defense of his ministry. Can you imagine that the Apostle Paul, the great apostle, would have to defend his ministry? A man that you and I would love to be in his church. But yet here he was having to defend himself. First thing we see in the first two verses is that Paul demonstrated a humble confidence. Let me read it with us here at verse 1. Paul, myself entreat you 
by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble with you face to face, but bold toward you when I'm away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some of you who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Now, there were two arguments that came at Paul from his detractors in the church of Corinth, this unrepentant minority and some of the false teachers and false apostles who had infiltrated their ranks. Those two accusations was one, he was a two-faced hypocrite. And number two is that he was walking in accordance with flesh. Because Paul was addressing them with humility and timidity when he was with them, but bold confidence when he was away, they were saying, look how he is. When he's in front of you, he's timid. And he's humble. But when he's away from you, he's bold and confident. <clears throat> As that accusation comes against Paul, he says, I came to you in a demonstration of who Christ is with meekness. Do you know that Christ lived this world in meekness? That although he was God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he came in human form to the point of obedience on the cross. Do you know that when he was reviled on the cross, he did not revile in return, but demonstrated grace as he breathed his last breath so that by the curse that he received, we would receive blessing. That Paul's demonstration of humility was his confidence in Christ. Paul wasn't hanging on to or holding his ego. Paul was showing the power of humility. Paul wasn't trying to hold on to his rights or hold on to the things that he deserved that came with his divine apostleship. No, Paul sought to win people over by the grace of God. And he was led by the Spirit. You know, we all walk according, we all walk in the flesh. We don't walk according to the flesh. We walk in the flesh because we are in the flesh. We've got skin and bones and here we are living and breathing in this world in the flesh but not according to the flesh. We walk according to the Spirit, and Paul walked according to the Spirit. A good example of this is in one of my faith heroes. His name's Carl Ellis. His wife actually writes this as a compliment about his life. Her name is Karen. She says, best lesson I learned from watching my gentle pastoral husband. Leave even your false critics and bullies enough dignity intact to repent. Leave even those who recklessly oppose you with enough dignity intact to repent. Only humility can go there. Only humility can go there. Why is it that only humility can go there? Because humility doesn't seek to gain for our own self-centered purposes. Humility doesn't seek to destroy our opponents but win them over to Christ. And so, yes, we must engage in the dialogue and arguments of this world, but we must not do them with the heart attitude of pride in this world, but with the humility and meekness and gentleness of Christ. And friends, I tell you that as this war rages, 
humility must be our countenance. And we must de de demonstrate that Christ-like confidence. In church, like Carl Ellis did in leaving enough dignity in his harshest false critics and bullies, it is our heart that even our enemies would become our friends in Christ. And that Christ's enemies would become his friends because that's the work that he's about right now in the midst of the battle. We see that the second point is our weaponry isn't spiritual or isn't is spiritual. We don't wage war with the weapons of this world. We wage war with the weapons of the spirit, the spirit of the living God. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You know, the things that our world values to destroy strongholds are not the things of Scripture. The Scriptures don't value political alliances. The Scriptures does not value economic prosperity. The Scriptures do not value economic prosperity, technological advancement, military achievement, or even social welfare. While yes, those things are things that the scripture admonishes us to seek and to be peacemakers in the midst of, the scriptures tell us that those are not the things that win the ultimate battle. Because we know even after the last hundred years of incredible advancement that we have seen in this world, that there's still racism, there's still abortions, there's still human sex slavery and human trafficking. There's still child abuse and neglect. There is still wars and rumors of wars. And that we know that the kingdoms of this world will, will crumble under their weaponry because the, it has no bearing against the divine power of God. That those strongholds the strongholds that I just mentioned are only broken down by the working power of the Holy Spirit and not the weapons of this world. Because the weapons of this world are insufficient to stand against the divine power of God. I tell you, if you took all the weapons of human achievement and you brought it against the divine power of God, it would be like taking a squirt gun against a nuclear warhead because the divine power of God will destroy those strongholds, those fortresses, the evil of this world in every way. And we know the reason why the weapons of this world is insufficient for the battle it's because our battle is not against flesh and blood. We know that there's a work of Satan that's behind every human institution that does not see and surrender to Christ. We know that. And so we turn to the Spirit. In the Spirit, we have the armor of God from Ephesians 5. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness Shoes fitted with the readiness to proclaim the gospel wherever and whenever called. 
the truth of the gospel, the shield of faith that is, extinguishes the fiery darts of the evil one, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There's power here. There's power here. And in that power, it's bringing down the strongholds of this world. You know we all long for paradise like that's so obvious right now in the world that we live in. And we think that who we vote for in the next election is going to bring us paradise. And it won't. And it won't. It won't bring us paradise. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm saying that we put an improper value upon the weapons of this world. But yet we are people of the king. And we have the king's word. The problem with this world is that it is it wants the kingdom but not the king. It wants paradise but not Christ. We know that only Christ gives us the paradise that we truly long for. And so as we're in this battle right now, we know that our paradise is coming in the return of Christ and he is making all things new. 2 Timothy, Paul gives this warning to his apprentice, Timothy. And I think it's a warning that we need to hear today. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, Brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. That last line, having the appearance of godliness but yet denying its power. I believe that accusation could even be leveled at the American church today. Here's why because we've trusted too much in the weaponry of this world and not in the weaponry of the spirit of the living God. And the weaponry of this world, it transforms the external, but it cannot transform the human heart. And so the weaponry of the spirit is the weaponry that we must wholeheartedly embrace for the world that we live in. My next point is that we fight this battle with every thought captive to Christ. We fight this battle with every thought captive to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 and 6. We destroy arguments with every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Paul says, every thought captive to Christ. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion. That means any persuasion, any empty philosophy, any teaching that seeks to elevate itself above the word of God, must be destroyed. Anything that seeks to be at eye level or equal to the Word of God must be destroyed because the Word of God is here. It's above us. 
And there is no lofty opinion that can overtake it. And anything in this world that seeks to go after the truth of God is a lie and it must be destroyed. And that's not just the empty philosophies of the world out there, but that's the fake news of our own hearts. That's the false belief that we engage in in the ideas of this world and we give ourselves to on a regular basis. You know, there's something I've noticed about myself that I've been formed in a certain way that I haven't really liked and has not been good for me. And it's really about my phone. There was a, uh, I, I, I ruined my phone the other day. I jumped off the roof. I had Facebook Live going and uh, me and the kids, we jumped off the roof into the pool. And my phone is water resistant, but somehow some water got in, it got water damaged. So I had to call my warranty and they sent me a new phone. But from Saturday through Tuesday, I didn't have a phone. And man, I realized that this thing was my constant companion. When I was at a stoplight, I picked up my phone and I, and I immediately wanted to check my texts or my email or Facebook. <laughs> and I realized that it was distracting me. And rather than all of my thoughts being held captive to Christ, I had this phone that was really shaping me, rearranging me. I mean, what am I going to do at a stoplight? Just watch it and wait until it turns green? Is that really what I have to do? Yes, it's not a problem. But yet I needed this phone to kind of hit these idols of my heart of control and power and approval and comfort. And I was looking to this phone and I was submitting my thoughts to my phone rather than to Christ. Anybody else been there? Am I the only one? I mean, I think it's true of us that, that we give our lives to this constant information-driven society, that social media is shaping us more than the Word of God, that we're looking for the next news story about coronavirus or race relations or all these things in the world to bring about salvation, rather than the truth here that's in the Scriptures that informs and transforms our mind. And so when we submit our mind to the working power of Jesus Christ and we filter everything through the lens of the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, his death, his burial, his resurrection, we know that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus and that we have the powerful presence of God in our hearts through the Holy Spirit and that we have Christ's humility and that we have the weapons of warfare in the Holy Spirit and that we have Christ whom we submit all of our thoughts to. If those thoughts are not in accordance with the word of God in our lives, they must be destroyed. You know, you can't take your opinion and bring it against the Bible and say, my opinions matters more than the word of God. Do you know what just happened there? You've elevated yourself of the world over the word of God. And you've made yourself susceptible to the judgment of God versus the grace and mercy of God. Now, God's grace and mercy can cause even the most hard-hearted liar and sinner to repent. But friends, as Paul says in Timothy, may our heart not be seared with a hot iron to where we are so captivated by the philosophies of this world that the exterior of our hearts can't be penetrated by God's grace. 
You know how we live in faithful repentance? It's not that we have bad thoughts, which we do. Lusts, perversions, thoughts of pride, all of those things are things that, yes, reveal something about our heart, but when submitted to Christ and His Word and His authority, there's grace. And God's grace conquers those thoughts, changes our lives, and make us live as redeemed people in this world. Every thought captive to Christ. Rabbi Zacharias, a man who died less than a month ago, one of the great apologetics of our generation. He writes this in terms of generations of children who have been raised without the knowledge of the Lord. Wrote a book called Recapturing the Wonder, where he wants to see this new generation raised up and being captured by the wonder of Jesus Christ. But he, he wrote about some of the challenges that I think are obvious to us now today, but are important for us to realize as we, as the church, raise up the next generation, whether you're a parent or not. This is important for all of us together. Rabbi Zacharias says this, In the 1950s, kids lost their innocence. They were liberated from their parents by well-paying jobs, cars, and lyrics and music that gave rise to the new term, the generation gap. In the 1960s, kids lost their authority. It was a decade of protests. Church, state, and parents were all called into question and found wanting. Their authority was rejected, yet nothing ever replaced it. In the 1970s, kids lost their love. It was the decade of meism, dominated by hyphenated words beginning with self, self-image, self-esteem, self-assertion. It made for a lonely world. Kids learned everything there was, no, there was to know about sex and forgot everything there was to know about love. And no one had the nerve to tell them that there was a difference. In the 1980s, kids lost their hope stripped of innocence, authority, and love, and plagued by the horror of a nuclear nightmare, large and growing numbers of this generation stopped believing in the future. In the 1990s, kids lost their power to reason. Less and less were they taught the very basics of language, truth, and logic, and they grew up with the irrationality of the postmodern world. In the new millennium, Kids woke up and found out somewhere in the midst of all this change, they lost their imagination. Violence and perversion entertained them till none could talk of killing innocents since none was innocent anymore. Ravi Zacharias here does a good job in critiquing how children in America have been raised since the 1950s. Now, there were problems in our world from the 1950 onwards, massive problems. But one of the things that has been evident and we can see is that there is a generation of children that have been raised in biblical illiteracy not being raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, not being raised up to know what it means to hold every thought captive to Christ, and it's costing us. 
It's costing us dearly. And it's not just simply costing us lives or livelihoods, but it's costing us souls. And the war that's being waged seems to be won by Satan right now. But even that, God has a plan. Because right now we are called to be the church that brings about redemption in these, in, in, in these philosophical arguments and these lofty opinions that come at the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God chooses to use you and me in this war. With the humility of Christ, with the weapons of the warfare in the spiritual realm given by the Holy Spirit. And that all of our thoughts, all of our hearts, all of our actions would be surrendered to King Jesus to make a difference. And these are the things that God is doing in our world today, and he's calling us to be a part of. Do you know, church, will we answer that call? I believe we are to answer that call. And I believe that the chief application of this sermon is that you would be spiritually discerning. There are many things that you can give your life towards. There are many things that you can give your time towards. There are many things that you can give your thoughts towards. But you will not be spiritually discerning unless you submit those thoughts to the authority of Jesus Christ and you walk in obedience to Him. And church, you know the areas where you struggle and you have brothers and sisters around you even though we're in separate homes you've got somebody's number on your phone that you can call and ask for help and God's Spirit may be working in that today so that the deceitful ways of Satan will, will not bring destruction in your life anymore but that God would destroy strongholds by His Spirit now that the work of Christ 2,000 years ago is a work that advances in every heart today as we surrender to Him again and again and again. It's only by the gospel of grace. And we cannot do it in and of our own strength. But God's mercy and redemption is real for us now. And may we take all of our thoughts, surrender them to Christ, so that we know in the battle that rages around us, the victory is His. Crosspoint, join me in this battle, and let's pray His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, make it happen. Make it happen in our lives for the person who's cramped up in their home and they just need to talk to somebody, Lord. Give them the strength of your spirit to talk to a beloved brother or sister in our church. God, for the person who's needing your power, God, to break addictions, that you would break those strongholds. God, where we're unrepentant in our lives and we're unwilling to allow those thoughts to be held captive to Christ, Lord, overtake us. Break our hearts. Cause us to grieve our sin and to grasp on to our Savior and to forever find freedom when our thoughts are submitted to Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.